Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Welcome back to Tagist. T-A-G-Y-S-T, the art of getting your shit together. Hello. I'm your host, Jenna, and I'm here with my co-host and other half, Lindsay. Hello. I'm we here. haven't like introduced ourselves with our names in quite some time. I know. When you just started doing that, I'm like, we well, should do that. We <laughs> probably should do that for every episode. <laughs> Jenna, Lindsay. Hello. And I welcome. actually was told by somebody, Leah. Hi, Leah. My hairstylist, my amazing hairstylist, Leah. She said that we sound the same. We have a similar voice. Oh, I, I disagree said, completely. Really? I, I know. I was like, I feel like we sound totally different. But I suppose... Somebody who doesn't know you or me and our voices intimately might think that we sound a lot alike. Yeah. Well, when I edit, sometimes I edit our shows and I think we sound totally different. Yeah. Anyway. I'm a little more are. raspy. <laughs> She's got that one nine hundred <laughs> sound. No. I don't I don't think you're raspy. But anyway. Uh, we're going to be talking about perfectionism today. And so we are going to be continuing on with Brene Brown and her amazing work around shame, vulnerability, and perfectionism. And all of the things that came from our last episode on shame were from the gifts of imperfection. And same, this podcast episode is going to be gifts of imperfection, but we're going to dive into the, the perfection part of the gifts of imperfection. It's going to be about how we start letting go of perfectionism. And any, if you've read of any of Brene Brown's work, you know that she talks a lot about armor and the things that keep us from experiencing vulnerability and shame. And perfectionism is the birthplace of a lot of things. So we're going to talk yeah. about that. We're going to talk about the myths surrounding perfectionism. We're going to talk about the difference between personal growth and perfectionism. We're going to talk about the actual definition of perfectionism and then how to overcome perfectionism. Love it. I can't wait. And if I say perfectionism one more time, it's starting to do that thing like on Ted Lasso where it's the word becomes a sound. (laughs) (laughs) What is that called? Oh man, I'm going to have to look that up. Hang on. Pause. Semantic satiation. Semantic satiation is when words become sound. So that's how perfectionism. <laughs> that's elemental P. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay. This is an aside. Yesterday, I I was thinking this is just how my brain works. Okay, so sometimes I'll have random thoughts that just flood into my consciousness, and I have to say, I have to tell somebody what I'm thinking. And it's absurd. And so yesterday I snapped Lindsay on Snapchat. And I was like, when I was a kid, I used to think the letters L-M-N-O-P were one letter. L-M-N-O-P. L-M-N-O-P is one letter. <laughs> and apparently now it is part of semantic satiation where words <laughs> become sounds. <laughs> anyway. Oh okay. So back to perfectionism. So Shame and perfectionism go hand in hand. Brene Brown says that where perfectionism exists, shame is always lurking. In fact, shame is the birthplace of perfectionism. 
I know that our audience, I know for me, I am, I say I'm a recovering perfectionist, but really, like, I like, for me, perfectionism feels good. It doesn't feel good, but it does. You know what I mean? It's like the armor that I wear proudly, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. it's just easy to live in it because I've, that's just what I've been doing, people pleasing, fawning, all of that my whole life. So first I want to buff, and again, these are directly from Brene's book. So busting some of the myths around perfectionism. So perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to do your best or be your best. Perfectionism is not about healthy achievement and growth. It is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect, act perfect, we can minimize and avoid pain of blame, judgment, and shame. It's a shield that we think will protect us, but in reality, it prevents us from taking flight at all. God love today's society where we have perfect platforms and filters to also oh, help yes, create that. Exactly. Oh, man, we can dive into that a little bit deeper, deeper too. So perfectionism is not self-improvement. No. So what we do here on Tagist, perfectionism does not equal self-improvement. Perfectionism at its core is about trying to earn approval and acceptance. Most perfectionists were raised being praised for their achievements and performance. So think grades, manners, people-pleasing, rule-following, be a good kid, do good work, get the good grades, be good at sports, all the things. Somewhere along the way, we adopt the dangerous and debilitating belief system of I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. Please perform and perfect. Healthy striving is self-focused, so how will I improve? Whereas perfectionism is other-focused. What will they think? So understanding the difference between healthy striving and perfectionism. So research shows that perfectionism actually hampers success. It's the path to depression, anxiety, addiction, and life paralysis. And life paralysis is something that we've probably all experienced in some way, shape, or form. And this refers to all of the opportunities we miss because we're too afraid to put anything out into the world that could be imperfect. It's also all of the dreams that we don't follow because of our deep fear of failing, making mistakes, and disappointing others. It's terrifying to risk when you're a perfectionist. Your self-worth is actually on the line. It's crazy to think about how perfectionism can get in the way. Because we say like it can hold us back and it can stop us from achieving our goals, but it can literally paralyze the progress in our life. Life paralysis. And when I read that, I was like, wow, how many times do we do we question ourselves to the point where it, it is debilitating, right? Yeah. And, you know, we're always striving to seek approval and seeking approval from others. But when can we just get the approval from ourselves and to say it is okay? And we hear from all kinds of people who are – who, and we, we've talked about it. Like, it's okay. You know, things happen. We all do it. We all mess up. And we can hear over and over again, but that's still not acceptable for us. Like, we can never accept that. It's like, no. I know. And I have some thoughts on that. And I think part of it is, as a society, we expect perfection from others to some degree. We expect perfection from our leaders. We expect, I mean, if you think about politically, right, politicians aren't allowed to change their minds. They're not allowed to say, you know, I remember back 
in college when I think it was George W. Bush was running against John Kerry. And John Kerry changed his mind on certain things or he said one thing and then did another or I don't quite remember the details, but what he was dubbed was a flip flopper. And that was the coffin. That was the nail in his coffin. He was a flip flopper. You can't change your mind. You have to be perfect. You have to stay the course on what you believe, which is Mm -hmm. bullshit. And that made him quote unquote untrustworthy. You can't trust him. You can't trust what he says because he could change his mind. Exactly. Yeah. So we're expecting, we're putting celebrities, politicians, all these people on pedestals and expecting perfection out of them. And then we see perfect feeds all the time because people curate what they want to share out of their lives with the rest of the world. They're not going to share, oh, you know, I have a zit on my butt today. Like nobody's going to say that. They're going to be like, look at my amazing complexion on my face. Yeah. It's great. So I think part of it is like we see perfection And so therefore, we strive to be that perfect because everybody else looks perfect. Yeah. And then when they're not perfect, we're going to tear them apart for it. I follow this person on social media, Tucker Busden. He's like the most famous golden retriever on Instagram. I think he's got like 3 million followers. It's ridiculous. But the person behind the account is this girl, Courtney Busden. And people completely will just pick her apart for all the things. She got a treadmill for her dog. Because she lives in Michigan and it's cold outside. Right? Half the year it's like ice freezing. And so somebody said, just go for a walk, eye roll emoji. And she said, first of all, you know, we have inclement weather. Second of all, these dogs have extreme energy and they need to exercise and whatever else. But I'm just thinking this is part of the reason why we feel like we have to be perfect is because we want to try to avoid the criticism. And then with the criticism comes the shame shit storm. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up and the reason I'm going down a tangent on this is because we need to be less judgmental people. That person said about Courtney Busden about her dog's treadmill had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with the judgmental bullshit going on with that person eye rolling, go get it, just go outside. That's their reality. Just like we were talking in the last episode. That's their reality. That's their stuff. But it starts with us. We get to, we are constantly projecting our own reality and our own opinions and judgments on other people. And so as we go through this and we talk about perfectionism and how we all feel the need to show up perfectly all the time, think about the other side of the coin. You feel the need to show up perfectly all the time. Who are you judging for not being perfect? So just think about that. That's an uncomfortable thing to sit with. I just want you to think about it. So moving back over here between perfectionism and healthy striving. So the self-talk around perfectionism sounds like this. Ugh, nothing fits. I'm fat and I look like shit. I'm ashamed of how I look. I need to be different than I am right now in order to be worthy of love and belonging. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that at some point. Yeah, I'm fat, I'm ugly. It's not like I ate badly one day. It's I am disgusting. Yeah. Right? Healthy striving self-talk sounds like this. I want this for me. I want to feel and be healthier. The scale doesn't dictate if I'm loved and accepted. If I believe that I'm worthy of love and respect right now, I will invite courage, compassion, and connection into my life. I want to figure this out for me. I can do this. Yeah, those are some great snapshots of what you can say to yourself. 
But if we've been telling ourselves, I'm so fat, I'm never going to change, I am this, I am that, and berating ourselves all the time, it's hard to make that shift right away. It's like, again, it's going back to that default setting. And just like, and the only thing I can really speak of is my own experience. It comes up constantly. Like when you think I'm feeling better, my dialogue's changing, you know, fuck what everyone else thinks. You know, the only approval you need is from yourself and you're killing it right now. You know, you you just, you start to like really kind of lift yourself up. And all of a sudden it kind of like something happens and you just crash off that pedestal. Yeah. Okay, here I am again. Why am I still here? Why am I still here? And a lot of times, and I'm one that says, I don't mind being in the body I am. But again, half the time I'm like, I fucking hate this body I'm in. Why is it still the same? Why can't you get to your shit together? You know, I eat a hot dog and I'm like, it's just a hot dog. Who really cares? You know, eat the, ho- eat the fucking hot dog. And then I'm like, why are you still eating a fucking hot dog? You know, this is why you still look the same. And I'm like, but is it really the hot dog? <laughs> like, and I would say, is it really about, this kind of ties in a little bit to Jenny Schatzel's platform of changing the conversation. Why is it about what you look like? You're exactly. beautiful. And I, and I feel that most days. Yeah. I feel great most days. I look at myself and all of everything that it is and all of the layers of my body and, you know, the fat on my body, the cellulite and all the things. And I can look at myself and be like, you got this. I yeah. feel good. 90% of the time about how I look. But man, that other 10%. It is hard to overcome like, that thought process. Ugh. Can you ever release all of it? I don't know. But I know that it's a lot better than it used to be. And it's not to the point where I'm like, I'm not going to go speak in front of people or I'm not going to go to this thing because I don't feel like anything fits. Right. I think part of this comes with some age, like as we grow into our bodies and with age, especially women, we see our bodies change there's nothing you can do about it. You can get Botox, you can get nip tuck, do the things, but you're still on the same path to aging, wrinkles, death. Like we're all going that way, right? Um, and then I think we just have to like, as we get older, we we start to just accept some of these flaw, what we considered flaws before. And now we're like, okay, well, this is just who I am. This isn't changing now, even though I've been fighting with my body. I think the other thing too is with body acceptance in general is we kind of, I start to see what my body does. Like, wow, my body does a lot. And I, I can share a story about that too with my healing for my breast implant or explant surgery. You know, I can't believe what my body can do and heal from and did for me and does for me in the way that I've treated her and all the things. Um, But I think another thing too is we just grow in self-compassion as we get older. And I think part of it too is some of us who are really self-aware, we we get exhausted fighting with ourselves. And so you have to think of some other way to overcome this perfectionism and bringing in a little bit more of the acceptance piece, which we're going to talk about in a second with self-compassion. But I don't know if it ever, to answer... I don't think it ever goes away. I don't no, I think, don't either. Yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. I think there's always going to be, especially since those, what do they say that your brain is is formed between the ages of one and seven or something mm-hmm. is when you're most impressionable in your subconscious. So if you think about the messaging that re- you receive in those young years that you don't even remember, that wrote your subconscious. And so I don't think that. Which is so bizarre, by the way, because when you're a parent of a, 
infant to a six-year-old, like your life is chaotic and you're like, it is. We're just doing all the things and we're just trying to survive here. It's kind of fun. And that's the most impressionable. I'm like, you could be amidst chaos and that's your impression. Like chaos is normal. You know, I'm like, is this where anxiety comes from as adults? Is like, you're just immersed in chaos so young. And I think that even the people who don't have chaos, who have like people helping them and nannies, and then you're like, okay, well, is it because you were separated from me because I had a nanny? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't think that there's ever one. That's why everybody just does their best, right? And yeah. everyone is just like, here we are. We're all a little messed up because everybody just did their best with what they had. Does it ever go away? No. But then we judge other people for being in the same position exactly. they are. Exactly. And that's why I say, one of the things that I want people to think about more than just, oh, I'm a perfectionist is how are you contributing to the problem? Because we all do it. And I am not, I'm, I absolutely am the same exact way. So I have to really check myself when I start to get really judgy and shitty about things. So the definition of perfectionism is this perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought if i looked perfect live perfect work perfect and do everything perfectly i can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame judgment and blame perfectionism is a shield it is armor that that you wear in order to avoid painful feelings namely shame judgment and blame Mm -hmm. that armor gets heavy too it is heavy Brene Brown tells a story about how one of the ways that she was embracing her imperfections and developing her shame resilience was the house was a mess and somebody stopped by unexpectedly and her daughter came up and said, oh my God, do you want me to help you clean up the house? Like, should I help pick up? But she said, no, I'm just getting dressed. The house can be what the house is. I'm excited she's here. So she had to push past that perfectionistic, like, oh, I need to appear how, you know, the per- I'm the person who has everything yeah. together. Instead of just saying, this is it. This is who we are. Life isn't always picture perfect. So perfectionism is self-destructive simply because there is no such thing as being perfect. Perfection is an unattainable goal. Additionally, perfectionism is more about perception. We want to be perceived as perfect. Again, this is unattainable. There is no way to control anyone's perception regardless of how much time and energy you put into trying. I feel like that's also, so that's true, but it's also not true. We can control the perceptions of others. So if I wanted Lindsay to think that I had it all together and I was perfect, I could do that. I could put up that facade. Every time she comes over to my house, I could have everything perfect. And I've been to places like that and I've, I've known people who are like that. It falls apart after a while because you cannot maintain that that is not a that is not sustainable it is not the long-term long game for anybody that's heavy it's exhausting you will collapse something will break you cannot expect to hold that perfection facade and like act together forever and then what happens is these are the people that we see on social media who have the picture perfect Did you know, by the way, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, she cheated on him last year. And I said to somebody, I thought they were like couples goals. Somebody reminded me, nobody's couples goals. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Not even Jada Pinkett and Will Smith are couples goals. Everybody's got their shit, right? 
And so those people who put that facade on Instagram, especially their highlight reel is amazing. I mean, I, this is this is a terrible example, but like Gabby Petito and her boyfriend, they looked like they were having fun and they were everything was perfect. Now that's an extreme example, but behind closed doors, you don't fucking know what people are going through. And it's always the most shocking when you're like, oh, wow, I thought they had everything figured out. I had, you know, those are the people, the people who try the hardest to make their lives look like they're flawless on the outside probably have some of the most most skeletons skeletons in their their closet. closet. (laughs) Exactly. And that's not always the case. I guess we shouldn't probably put lump everybody into one collective thing. Maybe there are people out there who truly do have their shit together and they want everyone to know it I don't know I kind of feel like that's not true but everyone's fighting their own battles so just remember that I know that that's a cliche and we all we're always like yeah whatever it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. no it's true so perfectionism is addictive because when we invariably do experience shame judgment blame we often believe that it's because we were not perfect enough so rather than questioning the faulty logic behind perfectionism we become even more entrenched in our quest to look, live, and do everything just right. So you see how that's like a vicious cycle and very addictive. It's very addictive because you get acknowledged for it, especially on social media. Yes. I was watching a documentary last night, Generation Wealth, which I haven't finished, and it's not for children. There's a lot of nudity and sex and all kinds of pornographic references and but one one of the one teenagers was saying, you know, his friends, especially the girls, they're so attracted to likes, right? Because it's the adrenaline. They definitely post more when they're in their bikinis and doing all the things and showing off their bodies because they get the most likes for it, you know, much less than pictures of them with their dogs or their families. This documentary was really pointing out everyone has their thing that they're striving for, for this perfect life, this perfect body, this perfect look, the status, achieving status, even appear to have the status, the perception, right? They're all about controlling perception. And half of them were miserable. They're like, yeah, I got it all together and I'm doing all this, but they're exhausted. They have all kinds of addictions. A lot of them were on like addicted to painkillers. They were fucked up most of the time. One of them looked stoned or like it was just this whole bizarre reality. And I'm like, oh my gosh, live your life like that. I don't know. From the outside looking in, like this one hostess, this Vegas hostess, she looks like she's got it all together. She's with all these celebrities and putting on these big parties and VIP treatments and like, you want it all? I'll give it to you. Like, I'm your girl. And she's a mess. And I and it just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind how we have exploited lifestyles. And then we, it was exploited in shows and music videos and all kinds of stuff when we were growing up. But on such a level where we think it's attainable and it could be quick, right? We could all be a YouTube star and it's going to change our life. But then we can also be canceled, but we do one thing and people start to hate us and then people are committing suicide because their yeah. status has changed. And now they're, they feel like they're nothing. It just blows my mind. This marathon or this sprint to create this perfect life is just, it makes me nervous for Avery. It makes me nervous for a lot of people. Well, and that's part of our rant with anything on the socials, right? Because when we were kids, we didn't have, we had our immediate peer group that was judging us. We didn't have the whole world 
everybody on social media who could find us via hashtag or shares, judging us, picking us apart. And those minds of those young kids are so impressionable. They're growing. They're still figuring out life. Your Mm -hmm. brain isn't fully developed until you're like 26. Yeah. What do you even know when you're that young? It's crazy. It is crazy. And I feel for parents who are going to struggle with this with their kids because I don't have to deal with it because I have a dog. I do not have a child, a human baby. Um, I know that the answer of just not giving them phones is difficult because it's really hard to say, well, you know, Susie, you can't have this even though all of your other friends do. It's just, it's, it's sad. And I think parents, the best thing that you can do is just be open with your kids and talk to them about how life isn't perfect and, that isn't real. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I've realized, you and I, uh, Lindsay, again, this is kind of a tangent, but we were talking before we went on about social media and how you prefer certain platforms over others because certain ones make you feel worse than others. And one of the things that I did recently, and it's hard because I have so many people that I'm following on like Instagram, is I've gone through and scrubbed my list. Who are the people who I don't want to see? Or if I don't want to necessarily unfollow them, I mute them because they're not making me feel good about myself. This isn't the content I want to consume. I've recently went over to TikTok because for some reason, the algorithm just serves me up some of the juiciest educational material. And I feel like I'm learning, like I'm learning about space and I'm learning about (laughs) biology and I'm learning about all these nerdy things. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. I don't follow a lot of people that I know personally or even by proxy like celebrities or anything like that, with the exception of Taylor Swift. She's pretty funny on on TikTok. But it's kind of like this. I just love the way that their algorithm is set up. But also noting that TikTok's algorithm can be very insidious and very negative. Like if you fall into like if you fall into the conspiracy hole whoa, One way you, are, down. you are going to just get sucked in deeper. So you just have to be careful. I, based on what I like and watch, they serve up more of that for me. So when I'm watching and liking the educational stuff or the things that are happy, I get more of that. So just something to note when you're on those socials too. The algorithms are going to fuck with you. But um, so yes, nobody has a perfect life and social media is making it worse. And again, continue to reflect on how you can be a part of the solution yourself. Um, but so feeling shamed, just going back to like the addiction of perfectionism and the fact that we use perfectionism as armor to avoid feeling negative emotions. What did you say shame was? The the master emotion? Mm-hmm. So It's a full contact emotion too. Yeah, feeling shamed, judged, and blamed and the fear of feeling these things are realities of the human experience. Perfectionism actually increases the odds that you'll experience these emotions and often leads to self-blame. It's my fault. I'm feeling this way because I'm not good enough. So it can be kind of a vicious cycle. So you feel like you're, you're trying to be perfect in order to avoid these things, but it's actually bringing you more of those things because perfection is unattainable. You will never be perfect. And so then all you're going to do is feel more shame, more judgment and self-blame and self-loathing because you can't reach this thing that was never meant to be attainable in the first place. Exactly. So now that we know what perfectionism is and the fact that it is not 
self-improvement. It is not something we can hide behind as, oh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I like perfectionism. It feels good. And by the way, I want to say this. There is something inherently enticing about perfectionism. The reason we are drawn to things that are perfect is because it's satisfying. Like if you think about kinetic sand, you can make it into this perfect shape of whatever container it is. And it's perfect, right? That is so satisfying. And then to see like a room that's like when you go into model homes, if you've ever toured a model home, holy shit, that just gives you so much dopamine because you're like, this is so perfect. Like mm-hmm. there's the bookshelves are perfect. The, nobody lives there. That's why. That's why it's perfect. <laughs> it's not real. But it's so satisfying. There's just something about it that makes us be like, yes, maybe it's because we know that that's not attainable. But we like it. Right. So also no fault, no judgment and no, you know, no shame at all in being like, well, I like perfectionism. Like it feels good. Yeah, of course it feels good. It's perfect. Perfect isn't real. It's a fantasy. So we like that. Fantasies are nice. We fantasize about them, right? We lose ourselves in that. Yes, exactly. So it's, again, it's taking you away from reality. Reality isn't black and white and perfect and put a bow on it, white picket fence, Mm -hmm. dog, all the things. You know what I want to say on that that comes up for me is like thinking of a model home. Someone can come into that home and be like, God, this is so overdone. This is not, or this is too big or too much or not enough even, right? Mm -hmm. And so even in striving for our level of perfection, if we really are just trying to do better, we have to really put a ceiling on that and say, what's enough though? What is enough? Because I can look around and be like, this looks so good. Like whether it's decorating or I'm creating something or, you know, Kyle and I are working on building our business and I'm working with the architect and I'm like, oh, that's perfect. I love it. But someone else may look at it and be like, oh, that's, that's not good enough. I have to be okay with what my enough is and what, what I love and not pull everyone else's opinions because then it gets so messy too. So we have to be resolved in what does feel good. When is it enough? Yeah. And making sure that we're looking inward and not outward for that resolve and that reassurance to say, check that off. We're good. Well, and that's an exercise in knowing yourself and understanding what you value want, and- value and want out of your life. And I think one of the things too is so we we know that most of us can fall into perfectionism and it's to avoid these these big emotions and these feelings and a lot of it is stems back to our childhood and and times where we didn't have control over situations and perfectionism allowed us to gain a sense of control over a certain lot or hand that we've been dealt right so understanding too and giving yourself some grace around that and knowing that listen I understand perfectionism and I I can pinpoint certain areas of my life that probably triggered the reason why I became such a perfectionist Um, but there's also things that I'm always going to have a tidy home you know there are certain things that I think 
can teeter on the edge of unhealthy perfectionism, but also have benefited me. These things, again, they benefit you until they don't. So being a perfectionist probably benefited us as kids or, you know, in college when we had to get perfect grades and get the job, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden it becomes heavy armor that we're lugging around that we can't do anymore because mm-hmm. we're pretending to be something that we're not. Yeah, it's what Sarah Carlson said that stood out to me when we all have gifts, but when we overuse our gifts, they become liabilities. Yes. And so understanding that what got you here might not be what gets you to the next place. Right. So if perfectionism got you here and it's now too heavy for you to carry or maintain or you just you're ready to embrace a more authentic real life and you're ready to let go of some of these perfectionistic ways of living and attitudes, you're going to be reborn into something new and it's going to be difficult. You're going to have some resistance. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it because you're going to feel so much lighter. So let's talk about how to overcome perfectionism really quick. So three things. We need to be able to acknowledge our vulnerabilities to the universal experiences of shame, judgment, and blame. So number one, we all feel vulnerable. We all experience shame, judgment, and blame. We all experience those things. Nobody is unique unless you're a sociopath. They still probably experience those things, but they don't feel them. True. Yeah. No one's immune to it. No. Number two, we need to develop shame resilience, which we talked about in the previous episode, how to build shame resilience. We won't go into that one as much on this episode. But the next one is, I'm looking at my notes here and I have to say, I don't know what happened over here. This is like, this is a perfect, so this is, (laughs) my bulleted list goes one, three, six. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very imperfect <laughs> it's not. i'm like oh my god that really bothers me talk about an exercise and letting go of perfection um the third because i was like six number three practicing self-compassion and that's the one that i really want to talk about today Brene brown goes into it in her book she talks about dr Kristen neff who is a researcher and professor at the University of Texas, Austin, she studies how we can develop and practice self-compassion. So we had a researcher who studied, what was it, dignity and... Human dignity and humiliation. humiliation, And now we have a a researcher who studies how to develop and practice self-compassion. So good. So how do we develop and practice self-compassion? Three things. Number one is self-kindness. Being warm and understanding toward ourselves when we suffer, fail, or feel inadequate rather than ignoring our pain or flagellating ourselves with self-criticism. So I do this now with my body, right? Like I'll be naked in front of the mirror and I'll see the things that are quote unquote imperfections. And my normal MO is to be like, ugh, it's disgusting. You need to stop eating crumble every weekend. You should probably have a salad. You should probably stop eating so much sugar and lay off the coffee and all the things and maybe fucking go for a walk once in a while. Maybe get some exercise. And the self-talk is so mean. I would never say that to somebody else. I would never say that to somebody I love. No, you wouldn't say that to me. I would never say that. I wouldn't say that to any. I wouldn't say that to somebody I did not like. It's just crazy. So understand that like instead what I've tried to do is be like, yeah, so what? 
That's a body. That's what bodies look like. Um, One of my favorite Instagram accounts is Danae Mercer. She is amazing if you struggle with body image and and perfection when it comes to your body. She's amazing because she's got this, she's gorgeous, first of all. She's beautiful. She's a beautiful human. She's beautiful on the outside. She's got this beautiful, what looks like perfect body, like perfect figure. She's got like perfect, but Barbie figure is what I would consider it, right? Mm -hmm. She's tall. And then she shows herself in different lighting and like she'll like pop her leg out or she'll sit frumpy and she'll be this is me normally she's got cellulite she's got stretch marks she's got a pooch she shows like the progression of her day where she wakes up skinny and then she goes to bed with bloat like the rest of us like all of us (laughs) in human bodies experience she's amazing so it's like one of those things that she's really helped me she's been instrumental her and jenny schatzel have been instrumental in my changing the conversation that goes on in my brain about what i see in the mirror and what I'm expecting out of my body as it comes in terms of perfection. Because I'm like, wow, a dimple, just like everybody else has. Even my husband does. And he's a dude. Guys mm-hmm. have dimples. But some, for some reason, not on their butt cheeks. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Would like to know how they can just have like these perfect little cheeks. And how no cellulite there. little buns. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, having a different conversation. You know, understanding, being warm and understanding toward ourselves the second thing for practicing self-compassion is common humanity so common humanity recognizes that suffering and feelings of personal inadequacy are part of the shared human experience something that we all go through rather than something that just happens to me alone and i think that's another thing that those instagram accounts have helped me with is oh you know i'm not the only person who has cellulite on my butt cheeks yeah I'm not the only person who has jiggly arms. I'm not the only person who leaves their bed a mess sometimes. The only person who doesn't have a perfect marriage. Yeah. So, and I think that's another reason why shame can only survive in the dark is when we're not connecting with other people in our shared humanity, it grows. Yeah. Until we can bring it out into the open end of the light, it can't survive. So the third thing for practicing self-compassion is mindfulness. So taking a balanced approach to negative emotions so that feelings are neither suppressed nor exaggerated. We cannot ignore our pain and feel compassion for it at the same time. Mindfulness requires that we do not over-identify with thoughts and feelings so that we're caught up and swept away by negativity. Being mindful and self-aware and allowing you to feel the feelings. So you have to feel the feelings, right? And you cannot suppress them. But you also can't feel the feelings and then wallow and go down the rabbit hole and make it part of your identity. So there's a difference like what you were saying. This is a perfect example of how you're like, well, I 90% of the time I love the body that I'm in and I have good attitude and feelings toward it. But that 10% of the time, holy shit, I kick my own ass. Well, there's a difference between you feeling those feelings and sitting in that discomfort and then going into Mm self-loathing and going into those destructive behaviors that end up feeding your perfectionism, right? So for example, on the other, somebody who might not have the level of mindfulness and self-compassion of Lindsay when it comes to her body would be uh, me in high school when I had a really poor body image and I had an eating disorder. 
so I would see something like, oh, you know, I see a dimple in my butt. And that means that now I'm not perfect enough. Now I need to add 30 minutes to my cardio today. And I need to, you know, take 500 calories out of my diet today because that was unacceptable. You see the difference. So being mindful enough of going, okay, yeah, I feel this way. I think other people feel this way too. And then self-compassion coming in and saying, I'm doing the best that I can. This is a body. This is what bodies look like. And then moving on and not going into, oh, well, shit, you know, now I'm not going to have pizza for five months because I feel bad today. Yeah. I'd like to add one more thing to that is it's almost impossible to heal and have that self-compassion and even being kind to yourself just to recover from those things so you can get out of self-loathing when you're numbing constantly. It is much easier, if not a a complete 180 on how I handle the situations now that I'm sober. Because before I would braid myself when I was feeling that 10% and I would loathe and I'd get drunk and then I would be beating myself up over that. So I was trying to forget about how my body looked and I was numbing out for another reason and it was just causing a whole nother domino effect on self-loathing and unworthiness and, you know, just berating myself. So yeah, that's a spiral. Yeah, absolutely. So instead, before your coping me- mechanism was drinking. drinking. So what do you do now? I talk about it more. So I get, I'm thankful I get to talk about it with you or Kyle um, or my other, some of my other girlfriends. Um, I started journaling more. I don't journal every day, but when I'm in a fit, I definitely will write about it because I just need to get it out somewhere. And it may be unhealthy or not so unhealthy. I pace around and clean and tinker around the house. Yeah. (laughs) Like last night I was in a mood and I wasn't feeling great. I was in a mood about the holidays and I was like, I, this is going to be my first holiday sober. And I'm like, this is the season where you give and give thanks and all the things. And I started just kind of pacing around and Kyle's like, you're driving me crazy. You're driving me crazy. What is, you sit down, relax. Like you, you don't even feel good right now. And I'm like, I can't, I gotta keep, I gotta keep my mind busy right now. But while I'm doing that, I'm like processing. I'm not just trying to distract myself. It's just giving me a mindless thing to do. So I can process when I'm around my kid and Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I want to caution people is if you like a tidy environment or if one of your coping mechanisms is to tidy or organize, that isn't bad. That's not a bad thing. That doesn't mean, oh my God, I'm a perfectionist and now I'm I'm trying to hide shame. No. That just means that you might like a tidy space. It might make your head feel better and clutter for some people makes people feel more anxious. And so this isn't about, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. This isn't about tidying your space or using these certain things to cope with other harder things. Certainly pacing around or tidying your house or making things nice or tinkering around with the organization of something is is much healthier than drinking. Yeah, 100%. So again, like none of this, nothing when it comes to anything that we talk about on this podcast is black and white. 
we might talk about how we might have a podcast episode about how all of the we love the home edit and all the things and again another thing we I love the home edit like it's so satisfying to see all these things in fucking rainbow order and I don't know why you need one color of every Pringles but you did it and it looks awesome (laughs) so it's like the differences the motivation that's exactly right the difference is absolutely the motivation behind it a lot of the motivation is not conscious right i'm not like oh i'm trying to hide shame today so i'm gonna (laughs) be perfect on instagram no it's it's that's a subconscious thing so a lot of it is again the mindfulness will come into play when you're you need to be more self-aware surrounding your perfectionism right and a lot of the times you know when you're triggering perfectionism versus just oh i like things to be this way if there's shame tied to it. So if you have big feelings tied to a thing, so when you're naked in front of the mirror, you usually that's a trigger for a lot of people who have big emotions and big feelings, right? When you're eating food, when you're drinking alcohol, when you're, you know, mess up at work. I realized the other day that I never post on Instagram into my feed, I only post stories. And I was like, I wonder why. And I was like, oh, well, number one, I don't really have anything going on that's worthy of sharing and living there forever. But number two, I had a thing where if it wouldn't look pretty on my feed, it didn't deserve to be there. And I'm like, that's not what life is, man. You know what I mean? So again, that's a perfectionistic trait that's tied to shame and judgment more than it is, oh, I just want to tidy my, I want to make my bed today. I want to reorganize the junk drawer. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So knowing and having the discernment between those things when it's tied to big unhealthy emotions. Now, if you have like Monica Geller and you have a closet that you lock that nobody can go in, that's shame. <laughs> that's perfectionism. You know what I mean? So there's there's definitely a difference. But yeah. um, there's a quote by Christopher Grummer that, that's in The Gifts of Imperfection. And he says, a moment of self-compassion can change your entire day. A string of such moments can change the course of your life. Mm, I love that. That's a good one. It is so good. It's so, so good. Say it one so, more time. So a moment of self-compassion can change your entire day. A string of such moments can change the course of your life. So it's just these small pieces of self-compassion. And self-compassion and self-kindness, the things I want you to think about are being warm and understanding to yourself when you are suffering. Warm and understanding. Not mean, not cold not blaming, not judgmental, warm and understanding. And then also connect it to your humanity and how you are human. You are not perfect. There is nobody perfect. It's not a thing. It's not possible. You can stop feeling miserable because you're never going to get there. And keeping up with the Joneses and comparing yourself to so-and-so, that's something I think too that can fuel, comparison can fuel perfection because we want to be like that person or we are envious that they have something that we might not have or maybe it's not a material thing it's it's the life they're living or what they appear to be living on the outside and knowing that what you might be coveting is actually terrible like you probably don't want to live that life it looks super perfect that's exhausting that's One of the other things that stands out, especially when I see other people striving to be perfect, how exhausting that could be, right? Because you're always acting. It's one of the reasons why influencers burn out. Yeah. 
I had a girl, sweet, sweet client. She went into, she, she loves fashion. She's got like a heart of gold. She's just a genuinely good human. And within a year, like she was like, I'm going to do the influencer thing. I'm really excited about like styling and all the things. Within one year, she's like, I can't do this. This is really taking a toll on my mental health. Again, part of part of it is them putting those, you know, unrealistic expectations on themselves to be perfect is when it's unattainable. And part of it is us, the consumers of the things that are perfect. We have to know that we contribute to this. Mm-hmm. And know that, like, you can't continue to expect perfection from infallible human beings. Think about how imperfect you feel and then compare that to somebody who is living this perfect life on social media. If you think that they don't feel that way in some form, you are fooling yourself. Mm -hmm. It's just not a thing. One of the things that Brene puts in the book at the end of this chapter on perfectionism is how you can become more deliberate about integrating a self-compassion practice into your life. And so Dr. Neff, Dr. Uh, Kristen Neff, on her website, she has a self-compassion scale. So it's a short test that measures the elements of self-compassion, which are self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. And the things that get in the way. So self-judgment, isolation, and over-identification. The scale, she's, Brene says that the scale helped her to realize that, that she does really well in terms of common humanity and mindfulness, but self-kindness needs her constant attention. Mm -hmm. So we'll put this in the show notes, but the self-compassion scale and other wonderful information is available on Dr. Neff's website at self-compassion.org. And it's a hyphen dash, not. We'll so put it in the show notes. Dash compassion. Self dash compassion is hard to say. <laughs> self dash compassion.org. And I took the assessment last night just because I wanted to see what I would score. So this is what the key says. So average overall self compassion scores tend to be around 3.0 on a one to five scale. So you can interpret your overall score accordingly. Um, as a rough guide, a one to two and a half. For an overall score means that you are low in self-compassion. A two and a half to three and a half indicates moderate and a three and a half to five means you're high. It says, remember that higher scores for self-judgment, isolation, and over-identification subscales indicate less self-compassion, while lower scores for those indicate more self-compassion. So let's see. Kindness, the three things. So self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Self-kindness, I was a 2.6. So I'm almost to the three. Common humanity is a two. And mindfulness for me is a two and a half. So those were good. And then my over-identification. So these, the scores that should be lower for me were higher. So self-judgment was a 3.4. Isolation, 2.25. And over-identification was a 3.75. So I'm hovering in the middle of I've got work to do with my self-compassion. And I would imagine that anyone else who takes this quiz, honestly, because there were things where I was like, I had to truly stop myself when taking this and be like, no, what is the reality? Not what do you aspire to be? Yep. That's hard when you take tests. You're like, uh, oh, yeah, I did. I Do I do that some other time? Mm, no. Yes. Sometimes, but not enough to judge on this assessment here. Exactly. <laughs> 
So good old juicy episode about perfectionism. Hopefully a lot of you who struggle with perfectionism can now feel a little bit better knowing so does everybody in some capacity and also have the tools now to start reclaiming and generating some self-compassion and incorporating that into your daily practice. And then also remembering that it starts with us and that that was not part of Renee's book. That's Jenna's message to the world. Like it starts with us as individuals. You can only control yourself and how you show up for other people and how you project your own reality onto others. That is the brave and courageous thing to do. Yeah. And one of the things that I try to do almost always, and again, I am not perfect, but I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and I try to give people like, okay, so she wasn't perfect. Who cares? Like her being perfect isn't helping the rest of us, whoever her is. You know, it's like, why are we, why do we even want that to begin with? That doesn't help me. That just sets the bar higher for me. And that's exhausting. So we all need to just go into the world with, you know, the self-compassion and self-kindness and other focused kindness and compassion for others. Because not everybody has a perfect day. You know, some people show up on a bad day. And this goes, this is true too, if you are a parent or a leader. Your people are not always going to be on. No. You know? So I think it starts with checking ourselves. Um, and I think too, it might be proportionate. The amount of perfection you demand on yourself uh, maybe it's not proportionate, but could bleed over into the amount of perfection you expect from other people. Exactly. Has a ripple effect on everybody around you, too. Anyway, this was a good episode. I really liked this episode a lot. This is a good topic. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, and I know Brene always says for everybody to say awkward, brave, and kind. I want to steal that from her and make it our sign-off. But today... Go ahead and start dismantling some of these perfectionistic things in your life. Have more compassion and less judgment for other people and work on your self-compassion. That's your assignment until we talk to you next. And keep working on that shame resilience. <laughs> Good luck. This is lifelong work. Yeah, it is. This is lifelong work. So it's going to take, It's you, don't be a perfectionist and expect that it's going to be perfect. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.